good to be here with you this morning. Being in God's house is being on holy ground. That's the message I want to bring to you this morning. If you have a Bible, would you join me in Exodus chapter 3? Exodus chapter 3. Again, I want to bring you a message today called Holy Ground. And I'm going to read to you this morning in Exodus 3, starting in verse number 1. I'm really excited about this thing that I got in my heart today. I really feel like it's in line with some of the things that God's doing in our church right now, some of the things that he's been doing over the course of the last few weeks in our church. So let's uh, read, first of all, this morning from Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. This is what it says. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And verse 3 says, Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Lord, here I am. Then he said, or God said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off of your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Verse 6 says, moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Now skip down to verse 9. It says in verse 9, now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Before we go on, I just want to draw your attention one more time to verse number one. It says in verse one, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. He led the flock to the back of the desert. I remember last year, I uh, went out with my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law was about to get married. This is my wife's youngest brother, Stephen. He was getting married last year. And right before he got married, they were making their wedding plans. And they decided that he decided with his brother and some of the other guys that were going to be in the wedding that he wanted to have a bachelor party weekend. So he called me up, and he had already asked me to be in the wedding. He said, hey, do you want to get out of town with us? We're going to go have a bachelor party weekend for a couple of days. And I said, well, what's going on? What's the plan? He said, well, we're going to go down to the desert, and we're going to camp out for a couple of days. So I said, okay, sure, sounds good to me. Now, I've got to be really honest with you. I'm not really the biggest camping guy. Like, it's not really my thing. Any campers out there? How many people are like, I can take it or leave it. It's not really my thing. See, the thing to me when I think about camping is there's not really going to be a soft mattress. There's not going to be hot, you know, running water when I wake up in the morning to take a hot shower. So when they asked me to go to the desert with them for this little bachelor weekend, I thought, you know what, it's his thing, whatever. I'll say yes, even though if it was up to me, this is not what I would choose to do. So I figured, okay, no big deal, we'll just do this, I'll go along with it. I'll never forget, as I started approaching this trip, and to the week, when I got to the week of the trip, I started packing my things, getting my stuff together, and I realized that I have absolutely zero camping gear, okay? I don't own a tent, I don't have any hiking boots, I have no idea what to do if I was to get lost in the wilderness, like, I, I, I don't know. And these guys, they're all into that survival sort of thing, but I'm just like, hey, you know what, camping, whatever, I just choose to go along with this for a couple of days. And so finally the day arrived where we were supposed to go out to the desert. And I was here in the office on a Thursday afternoon. We were going to be staying down in the desert on a Thursday night and a Friday night. And my brother-in-law called me and he says, hey, listen, you might want to leave work early today. And I said, why is that? He goes, well, you kind of want to get to Joshua Tree before it gets dark outside. 
And I said, well, why is that? He goes, well, here's the thing. There's not really any street lights around here. The campground is really, really hard to find. And to make matters worse, there's not any cell service at the campground. So I'm thinking, okay, well, what happens if I start to drive out there and I can't find my way and I can't get a hold of anybody? You know what I'll do? I'll just go ahead and I'll get the directions on my phone and I'll just take screenshot pictures that I can save and therefore I'll have the directions, right? That all seems to be like a foolproof plan. So I take off after work that day. I wasn't able to leave early, just had too many things to do. I finally got down to Joshua Tree and it had been dark for well over an hour by the time I got down there. And if you've ever been down to Joshua Tree, you know that when you're going through Joshua Tree National Park, it's not exactly easy to find the place that you're looking for late at night, okay? So I'm driving through the desert, and I remember getting to that place where it seems like the street that it told me to turn on is a street that I can't find, or maybe that was the street that was back behind me. I'm not really sure. Did I pass it? Is it still in front of me? This says it's only three more miles, but I'm pretty sure I've gone four. Do I need to turn around and go back, or do I keep on going? Because I don't even know where I am. And I remember having a couple of these moments where I would stop and I would turn around and go back a mile and then realize, no, the street wasn't back there. So then I would turn around and keep going the original direction that I was going. And I kept getting frustrated. And pretty soon my frustration turned into fear because I realized, oh my gosh, I'm in the middle of the desert. I have no idea where I am. I'm completely lost. And in all honesty, I don't even know where I'm going right now. And it was crazy because as I found myself sitting there in the middle of the desert, I thought, okay, well, maybe I can call them and see what's going on. But sure enough, I pull out my phone to make a phone call and find, try to find directions. And guess what? No cell service. Oh, man, this fear just began to creep over me as I thought, what in the world am I doing in the middle of the desert right now? At first, I'm frustrated. I'm like, you know what? We should have never been in this stupid desert to begin with. Who wants to take a bachelor party and go to the desert and camp out for two days? Like, who, who does that? But then pretty soon my frustration turned into fear as I thought, what in the world am I going to do here? This is like the kind of place where like you spot UFOs or they film horror films, you know? <laughs> like this is how a horror film starts. He went on a camping trip out to Joshua Tree. He got lost in the middle of the desert. He thought he could find his way, but then he had no cell service. I'm like, I might die here. Like, this could be the end in the middle of the desert. Like, how long will it take them to find me, you know? Like, I can't even call my wife and tell her that I love her one more time. I'm just stuck here in the middle of the desert. And I remember all night long thinking, what in the world am I doing in the middle of the desert? Now, eventually, I found the campground. I stayed the course. I kept going. I finally found the right roads. I found the campground. And it was the biggest relief when I finally got to the campground and found my brother-in-laws and all the other guys who were there for the little bachelor weekend. It was a good time. I woke up the next day and we actually woke up nice and early to see the sunrise there in Joshua Tree. And I have to tell you that my whole perspective changed on the whole thing because I found out that Joshua Tree National Park is one of the most beautiful places in the world. It's incredible. And as I got up that morning, we watched the sunrise over the hills. We climbed up on top of these rocks to see the sunrise and I was just amazed at what I saw because that day when I saw everything in the daylight, I realized just how beautiful it was and why it was that we had actually come there. I got home and I told all my friends about Joshua Tree. I said, if you've never been there, you've got to go there. It's a great place to go. It's an awesome place to check out, a great place to go camping. I even told my wife, babe, we should go here one day because I think that even you would enjoy going to this place. But it's funny because before I got to enjoy this thing for its fullness and see everything there was to see there at Joshua Tree, the one thing I remembered more than anything else was that feeling of fear and frustration in the middle of the night wondering what in the world am I doing in the middle of the desert. 
If you read the story of Moses, and if you know the story of Moses, you'll know intimately all the details of his life. If you don't know the story of Moses, that's okay, because I think this message will suit you quite well today. A lot of us, when we think about Moses, we all know the story of Moses standing before Pharaoh and saying to Pharaoh, on behalf of God, let my people go. We all know the story of Moses bringing the ten plagues upon the Egyptians after after Pharaoh had refused to be obedient to God's word. We all know the story of Moses parting the Red Sea by holding his staff above the waters and seeing the Israelites, well over a million Israelites, cross over on dry land and then the waters coming down on top of Pharaoh's army. And we all know the story of Moses going to the top of a mountain, talking with God and bringing down the Ten Commandments or the law of God. Those are all stories from the life of Moses that we know very well. But it seems like we tend to overlook or forget the man who was sitting in the middle of the desert at 80 years old doing absolutely nothing with his life. I think it's important that we recognize this season of Moses' life because I think all of us have been to a place in our lives where we felt like we were doing absolutely nothing. We weren't going anywhere. There was no passion. There was no purpose. And everything seemed to be dead and dry in our lives. I think most of us have experienced that in our lives, especially in our spiritual life. Probably at some point, most of us have come to a place where we felt like we were dry, like things were dead, like we were distant from God. Maybe we weren't pursuing any passions or purposes in our life. Most of us know what that feels like. If we look at the life of Moses, it's so easy to see his greatest days, his greatest victories, and overlook the fact that at 80 years old, he was sitting in the middle of a desert doing absolutely nothing with his life. And when we see that, we can put it into perspective and find hope even for our own lives. That's what I want to talk about with you today, because I think it's important that we look at Moses and his desert experience. You know, Moses wasn't just a shepherd who was tending to his sheep in the middle of a literal desert, but in fact, Moses was spending the years of his life in a figurative or even a spiritual desert. If you look back to his history, Moses was this guy that grew up in Pharaoh's palace. He was spared in Egypt when other Hebrew children were slaughtered in Egypt. He's a guy who miraculously made his way from his mother's house to Pharaoh's palace, was brought up with the very best of everything. He had the world at his fingertips. He got the very best education that the world had to offer there in Egypt. He had the ear of Pharaoh. He rubbed shoulders with influential and powerful people. Moses had so many things going for him until the day came that his passions consumed him and overtook him. And when he saw an Israelite man being beaten up by an Egyptian man, Moses went after that Egyptian man in defense of the Israelite. He began to beat him and eventually he killed him. The rumor and the word of that event got around to Pharaoh and pretty soon Pharaoh was upset with Moses and Moses began to fear for his life. So he ran out of Egypt and the Bible says it brought him to this place called Midian. And at 40 years old, he leaves the privilege and the palace that he's known for the first 40 years of his life and runs off into Midian to the middle of the desert. And the Bible says that he takes a wife and that he becomes the shepherd over his father-in-law's sheep. He was looking out for his livestock and his possessions. Moses wasn't just in a literal desert with sheep. He was in a figurative and spiritual desert in his life because at this point in his life, he's pursuing absolutely nothing. Ever felt like you were pursuing nothing? Ever felt like things were dead or dry? I think we all know what that feels like in our lives. But I think most importantly, what we need to understand is that Moses at this point in his life was living a purposeless or a life without purpose. When I think about what it means to find yourself in a dry, dead, desolate desert place, what I think of 
is I think to find yourself in a place where you have no fruit to show for your labor. You work really hard, but it seems like what you get back in return is never enough. You feel like provision is in short supply. No matter how hard you work, you keep working and keep working and keep working just to get by and you never have the abundance that you're looking for. It seems like that's what a desert place is oftentimes like. It seems like a desert place is a place where your life has no passion. You're not doing something that you're passionate about. You're doing something that you have to do just to get by. That's what a desert place looks like. Living in a desert place oftentimes feels like you're living your life aimlessly, wandering aimlessly through a desert, wondering how you got here and where it is that you're going with the days that you have left on this earth. It's crazy because as we find ourselves in that desert place, we tend to usually take on one of two ways of thinking. Oftentimes we, we tend to look back and say, man, I remember the good old days. I remember back when things were good. I remember back when life was prosperous, when I worked hard and I got a good wage. It seems like when business was flowing, that was the good old days. That's when life was really good. It seems like when you look back at the good old days, it's so easy to look at the good old days and say, there will never ever be days like that again, and the best days of my life are totally behind me. That's what happens when we find ourselves in a desert place. I think another thing that begins to happen when we find ourselves in a desert place is that we look ahead and we say, well, if this is the way things are now, then I guess these are the way things are going to always be. God, the good days are behind me. It seems like I'm living in a desert, and I look to my future with no hope, and I got to think that the rest of my life is going to look just like this. You know, the Bible says that God created time and space. God holds time and space in his hands. And I think some of the crazy things that we do in our life is when we look back to the good old days and we think that our best days are behind us, we dishonor God with the time that he's still put in front of us. Can you look back in your life and think about amazing things that God has done in your life? I know I can. I can tell you story after story of amazing things that God has done in my life. I was thinking back this morning just as I was reviewing my notes for this message, and I'll never forget when I was 13 years old, the first time that I ever went to youth camp. When I went to youth camp, I remember it was up at Pinecrest Camp where we send our kids to go to summer camp. And I was up there at 13 years old, and I remember having an encounter with God that changed my life. And I'll never forget what it felt like to sit there with my friends, the people in my youth group, and know that the presence of God was there. It was this life-changing experience that changed me forever. But what's crazy about it was I remember going back there the following year, and there was a certain place there on the campground in the chapel. And after our evening services, we would go as a group into that chapel, and we would talk about what happened in the service that night. We would pray for each other. We would share each other's needs. We would just lift each other up and talk about what was going on in our lives. And I'll never forget the authentic encounter in God that encounter with God that I had in that chapel and then the second time that I went back I walked into that chapel when I walked through those doors I remember thinking that as soon as the doors opened and I walked in I was going to have that same feeling that I felt just a year before that but when I walked in it was different it wasn't the same it wasn't the same thing as what happened before. And I remember walking around and just doing a couple of circles around that room and praying and asking God if I could have the same encounter that I had with him a year before. But here's the thing. I didn't have the same encounter with God that I had had the year before because God didn't want to do the same old thing that he had done the year before. God wanted to do a new thing. He didn't want to do the same old thing. He wanted to bring me to a new place to have a new experience with him. Sometimes we look back at the old days and we remember the way it felt to stand in the presence of God on those days. And so if I could ever just have another day like that, life would be great. But when we do that, we dishonor the future days that God still has for us. We're saying, God, your old days are better than your new days. We're saying, God, my past is better than your future. 
What a sad thing to say to God when God has amazing plans for your future and for my future. Why would we ever look at God and say, God, I believe that the best days you created are behind me and the days you have in front of me just aren't good enough anymore. I think it's time for most of us to lift our eyes and lift our heads and understand that the best is yet to come. And I want to tell you something this morning. If you've experienced some good old days in your life, then you need to really get excited about some good new days in your life. Because God's got some new things in front of you that are going to absolutely overshadow. Oh, you'll never forget about the good old days. You'll never forget about how you came to God. But these will be things that will mark the purpose and the destiny of your life. But it will only happen if we get past a desert mentality and open our eyes to a destiny mentality that God has for our life. Because sometimes when we're in the desert, we tend to look back and say that the best days are behind us. The good old days are behind us. Or we think life's not so great now, so what gives me any hope to think that in the future it's going to be any different? I wonder if Moses ever sat in the desert as he watched his father-in-law's sheep and had those thoughts run through his mind. I wonder if Moses sat there and thought, man, Here I am at 80 years old. I'm sitting out in the middle of the desert watching my father-in-law's sheep. I remember in the first 40 years of my life, I had privilege. I had power. I had access to the very best of everything. I was living in Pharaoh's palace. I got to rub shoulders with powerful and influential people. It was like I had the world at my fingertips when I lived back there in the palace in Egypt, those were the good old days. I wonder if Moses ever sat there and thought about the good old days and wondered how in the world did I end up here in the middle of the desert? I wonder if Moses sat there and thought, the first 40 years of my life were amazing years, but these last 40 years have really sucked. (laughs) Have you ever sat at a time in your life and thought, man, I can remember when things were really good, but it sure seems like the last year or two have really sucked. I mean, come on, I think we've all been there. I'm sorry if that offended anybody by me using that word. <laughs> Just me being honest for a second. I wonder if Moses sat there and thought, man, my, my best days, they're all behind me. These last 40 years, I've been just spending time with sheep in the middle of the desert working for my father-in-law. What's to say that the next 40 years or the next five years or the next 10 years or the next 20 years of my life are going to be any different? I wonder if Moses ever asked himself those questions. Because if you keep going forward in the story, it's quite interesting to see what happens. See, I think Moses had to learn a valuable lesson that you and I must also learn in our lives as well. God never intended for you and I to live in a desert. God intended for you and I to live through the desert. I want to say that one more time because you need to write that down, okay? God never intended for you and I to live in the desert He intended for you and I to live through the desert. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, we live in the Temecula Valley, and it's kind of a desert here. Or I have a second home in Palm Springs. Are you saying I'm supposed to sell it? No, 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 no. I'm not saying literally living here in the desert. I'm saying a desert place in our life where things are dead, where things are dry, where things seem to be barren, where life does not flourish. When we find ourselves in that place, we have to understand that God never intended for you and I to live in the desert. He intended for you and I to live through the desert. I want to talk a little bit more about that in just a second. But there's a question I want to ask you this morning. When you look at the story of Moses, Moses comes face to face with the destiny that God has for his life. 
How do you and I go from a place of desert to a place of destiny? Let me say that again. How do we go from a place of desert to a place of destiny? I think there's two words that answer that question. You ready? Holy ground. Holy ground. Kind of an emotional guy, sorry. When I think back to some holy ground moments of my life, I'm blown away with what it felt like when I encountered the very presence of God. The thing that's interesting about the story of Moses in the middle of the desert watching some sheep is that suddenly the Bible says that he looks over and he sees a bush that's burning. It's like there was a flame. The Bible says there's a flame in the middle of this bush. And the angel of the Lord was in the flame. What was most interesting was not that there was a bush that was burning. It was hot. There was a desert. But it was the fact that the bush wasn't consumed. And then pretty soon the angel turns into the voice of God, which begins to speak to Moses and tell Moses about what he has for his life. And suddenly a moment of desert turns into a moment of destiny. How do we get from a desert place to a destiny place? I believe that it can be found in two words, holy ground. Holy ground. I want to ask you this morning, what does the word holy mean? What does it mean to you? If you take a look at what that word literally means in scripture, the word holy means set apart, means sacred, or it means sanctified. All three of those things go together when you're talking about holy. Now think of it this way. When we come into God's house and we sing praises to our God like we did this morning, sometimes one of the things that we'll say is we'll say, holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is our God. We'll say those words. And what we're saying is, God, I set you apart. I make you different. I make you sacred in my life. I sanctify you in my life. I declare that you are here and everybody else is over here. We're saying, God, you are holy. Why? Because we set you apart for who you are, for all that you've done. There's nobody like you. God, you are set apart. You are sanctified. You are sacred in my life. God, you are holy. Another perfect example of this is probably that Bible that you're holding in your hand right now. Maybe it doesn't say this on your Bible, but traditionally there are many, many Bibles. If you look at what the front of it says, it doesn't just say the Bible. It says holy Bible. You want to know why it doesn't say the Bible? Because the word Bible comes from the Latin word, which, tell, which means uh, book or books. So if it just said the Bible, that would be like saying the book or the books. But it's not just another book. It's a holy book. It's set apart. It's sacred. It's sanctified by God. That makes it a holy Bible. It's not the word of God or the word of man. It is the word of God. That's what makes it holy. That's what makes it sacred. That's what makes it sanctified and set apart. Something different about holy Ground. That's what holy ground really is. And I want to talk to you for just a few moments here about holy ground. And I want to give you a couple of thoughts about holy ground. If you're taking notes, these things are going to be pretty quick. But a few thoughts I want to give you about holy ground. The first thought is simply this. When we are standing on holy ground, we will shift our focus. If you find yourself in a desert place in life, here's what you have to do. You have to run to holy ground. Because for a lot of us, when we get to the desert, we just set up shop and think, this is the way God intended it to be. This is the way God wanted me to live my life in a dry, dead, and desolate place. And God never intended for us to live in the desert. He wanted us to live through the desert. And if you ever find yourself in a desert place, you must immediately find holy grounds. Because on holy ground is the place where we shift our focus. Listen to this. This is what it says in verse 3. This is so interesting. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. Now, that doesn't sound like a very important 
verse in this passage, but here's what you need to understand. Moses wrote this passage, and he wrote this about himself. I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. See, when we step on holy ground and we have an encounter with the presence of God, the presence of God has the ability to move our focus from what's going on around us to what God is about to do in us and through us. And what you need to know this morning is that right there in the middle of the desert that you might feel like you're living in is destiny, and it's found on holy ground. See, a lot of us think about deserts, and the one thing we don't realize is that, de- that the uh, holy ground can be found on desert ground, it can be found on fertile ground, it can be found anywhere. But when we find ourselves in the middle of the desert, we tend to look at those as the dry, dead places where God can't do anything. And I guess I'm just going to die here in the middle of this desert. Moses sat there doing absolutely nothing with his life at 80 years old until the day came in the middle of that desert that he had an encounter with destiny, and it happened on holy ground. I think one of the reasons why God sent that burning bush to get Moses' attention, and the way it's noted here in Scripture is that Moses lifts his eyes and takes his focus on what's going on over here. It's it's almost as if he takes his focus off of the sheep, the job that he had, the thing that he was supposed to be doing, and he shifted his focus to the thing that God was doing over here. You know, last week was a really, really significant week. I don't know if you were here in church last week, but... If you weren't, you've got to get a hold of the message that John Kim brought last week. We had a special guest speaker, John Kim, who was with us last week, and he talked about work as worship, and it was an incredibly practical message that just hit home on so many levels, but the thing that was great about it was that over the last few weeks, we've been talking about God doing new things or something new in our midst and among us, in our lives, and at the end of our services last week, Pastor Gary came up, and it was fully unannounced. It was totally spontaneous. It was not something that we had planned In our service, he came up and he prayed for people who need God to open up new doors of opportunity in their workplaces, for people that need new business, for people that need new clients, for people that need new opportunities, for people who are unemployed to find great employment, for people who are underemployed to find better employment. He prayed for those things. And I want to tell you, the presence of God showed up in a real heavy way here last week when we prayed. And my responsibility at the end of service last week was to come up and we were going to welcome everybody as we always do that's new and visiting with us. And we'll do that here later on in the service and then talk a little bit about our giving, our tithes and our offerings. But I remember walking up and there was just such a heaviness in the air. And the, thing that, the first thing that came out of my mouth when I walked up here onto the platform was, wow, we just had a holy moment. Because I think for some people, you walked in the doors of this place last Sunday morning feeling like you're living in a desert place. Suddenly, God starts speaking to people. We begin to pray and ask God for bigger and better better and greater things. And suddenly, we find ourselves standing on holy ground. And I was blown away by that because I realized this is a holy moment. This is a holy moment. God's doing something different. And right in the middle of what seems to be a desert, people are finding destiny. And it's being found on holy ground. I think sometimes we tend to put our focus on the things that are dead around us when God wants to lift our eyes and say, take a look at the new thing that I'm about to do in your midst. I want to share a story with you real quick before we move forward. I just threw this into my notes this morning because I had an awesome conversation with somebody. My friend Herman Chambers is sitting over there. He does security for us here at the church. He serves faithfully every single week in our church. Herman's an awesome guy. I remember two years ago, I got to know Herman when we came here to the church Herman had a good job. He was doing well in his career. And then suddenly, out of the blue, one day, he lost his job. And I remember Herman went well over a year looking for new employment, trying to find a better job. And he literally had to walk through a desert season or a wilderness season in his life, asking God to provide a new job. 
And he was looking and looking and applying and applying and interviewing and interviewing, and nothing seemed to be working out. It even got so bad that he was offered one job, and when he started working there after 30 days, they decided just to let him go because they didn't want to actually keep that position. And he thought that that was going to be the job. He thought that that was going to work out. And I remember sitting with him one day, and Herman and I sat at lunch one day talking about this whole season that he was going through. And he sat there and described to me how terrible the whole process was, continuing to look and continuing to look, to seek, to ask, to knock, and have nobody answer those doors. I remember sitting with Herman one day as tears just came down his face, and he said, I don't know how much longer I can keep doing this because it's getting really, really tough. It was interesting because... He made his way through that season of life until God brought him to a place where he got a much more stable and secure job just a few months ago. And it was awesome because God did something really amazing. But even after he got that job, I remember we continued to talk and he said, you know, I'm glad I have this job because the company's great. It's a great opportunity. I'm happy about it in so many ways, but it's still not quite as much money as I need to be making with my mortgage and my bills and other things, responsibilities I have in life. And so we began to talk about that. And I told him, I was like, I'm going to stand with you, man. I'm going to pray with you. And so recently he told me that he had applied to modify his home loan. And he got some bad news back from the bank not too long ago when they didn't exactly go along with what it was that he wanted to do. And then yesterday, I'm sitting at home with my wife on Facebook. I'm looking at Facebook and I see that Herman was telling this story and this testimony of a car accident that he got in this week where he felt like God miraculously saved his life. And it was crazy to hear this story. So I was talking to him about it yesterday. He came in this morning, we were talking a little bit more about it, and he said, hey man, you're not going to believe this. And I said, I thought you already told me the story about how God had saved your life. He goes, no, I have more good news. He said, I heard back from the bank this week after I had reapplied for that home loan modification. They modified my loan, and it's going to save me a huge amount of money. And the reason why I share that story with you this morning is because I've watched this guy for the last two years walk through a desert season where it would have been so easy to just lay down and die and say, well, I guess the good old days are behind me. I guess that this is as good as it's ever going to be. But this guy has continued to hold on and hold on and hold on and trust God and believe God and confess the word of God. And I love how he always says, it seems like things looked bad, but God, God got involved. It's amazing when you have encounters like that, how you can find yourself in a desert season one moment and the next moment find yourself in a season of destiny and learn that you are standing on holy ground. You might be in a desert season right now. Can I tell you, don't look back to the good old days. Don't lay down and die. Don't put your focus on what's going on around you. Instead, lift up your eyes and see the new thing that God is about to do. Find holy ground because on holy ground, God does new things in our midst that shifts our focus from where we've been to the good new things that he's about to do. Amen? If you're in a desert season, don't lay down and die. Don't lay down and die. God didn't intend for you to live in the desert. He intended for you to live through The desert. Second thought I want to share with you this morning about holy ground is simply this. When we stand on holy ground, we come face to face with God's destiny for our lives. When we stand on holy ground, we come face to face with God's destiny for our lives. My favorite passage in all of the Bible is Psalm 92. I feel like it's my life verse. Because I found, it says that those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish. And I found in my life that when I decided to plant my life in God's house on holy ground was when I found the ultimate purpose and destiny that I was searching for in my life. 
I'm continually amazed at how many people search and seek and look all over the place for purpose and destiny in their life. They look everywhere but holy ground and they continually come up empty, not finding what they're looking for. And it's really amazing what God can do when we step onto holy ground because God can bring about new opportunities that walk us into the ultimate fulfilling purpose and destiny that he has for our life. But this is what I want to talk to you about in the remaining moments, remaining moments that we have this morning. When we stand on holy ground, we come face to face with God's destiny for our life. It says in verse 4, So when the Lord saw that Moses had turned to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. The reason why I go back and look at that scripture is because God got Moses' attention and took his eyes off of what was going around and raised his level of expectation to see what it was that he could do and what it was that he was about to do. But now when you look further ahead, as soon as he looks over and sees this burning bush, suddenly the voice of God calls out his name, Moses, Moses. That's so emblematic of what we see later on in Habakkuk where it says, write the vision, make it plain so those who read it can run with it. It literally means that the vision will call our name. When God has a purpose for your life that you find on holy ground, it literally begins to call your name and you realize this is for me. And that's what happens right here in Moses, with Moses on holy ground at the burning bush. But what's so great about it is the second thing that, verse, that, that Moses says when he sees the burning bush, he looks back and he says, here I am. The call of God, the purpose of God, the destiny of God for your life is found on holy ground. But here's what I want to show you this morning. The call of God is called the call of God for a reason. And I've talked about this before in our church. But the call of God could have been called anything else. It could have been called the commission of God. But instead we see it called the call of God. Why is it called the call of God? Because a call demands a response. One of the biggest reasons why many of us find ourselves in the middle of deserts in our lives is because years ago when God was calling, we never responded to the voice of God and the call of God that was calling us. I can't tell you how many appointments, how many conversations, how many phone calls, how many text messages, how many sit-down chats that I have with people who are continually looking for the purpose of God many years on in their life, and the biggest challenge they have is the fact that years ago when they first started to hear the call, they never responded. And I don't say that with condemnation for anybody today because that might be the place that you find yourself. But listen, there's good news in this because Moses was 80 stinking years old when he heard the call of God. Abraham was 75 years old and his wife couldn't even have kids and God looked at him and said, you are going to be the father of many nations. Try to get your head around that at 75 years old with a wife that can't have kids. Imagine sitting in the middle of the desert, which might not be hard for you to imagine with where you're at in life right now, and you feel like the best years of your life have already passed you by. You don't know how the, the new days could be better than the old days. You don't know how life is going to get any better. Well, guess what? At 80 years old, God unloaded the destiny and the purpose that he had for Moses' life right in the middle of the desert. And in that place, it was called holy ground. See, it doesn't matter where you're at in life. It's never too late to discover the destiny, even if you're in the middle of a desert season. Because God has new things for your life. God has better things for your life. I don't care just how good the old days were. There's still great days in front of you in the new days to come. And Moses learns what his destiny is going to be. But I want to just take another moment and talk to you about responding to the call of God. Responding to the call of God. You know, I feel like I'm walking out what God's call is for my life, but one of the things that I'm finding is that 
if I just tend to think that my relationship with God and my purpose and my call is going to stay the same every single day and that God's not going to want to continue to do new things for me, I can find myself in a dry, stale, desert place because I'm not growing in God. A lot of us find ourselves in a desert because we once responded to the call, but when we started that walk, we were satisfied with the place it took us and we didn't keep walking and we didn't keep growing and we didn't keep going to new places in God. I want to tell you this morning, it doesn't matter how long you've been walking with God. You might be towards the end of your life right now. You might have been on this earth for decades. You might be well past the age of what you think is the ripe age of doing new things. And God still has new things for your life. But we have to continue to grow. We can't choose to sit down and set up shop and live in the desert. We have to live through the desert because God has new things. I'm almost finished this morning, but... When I think about desert and wilderness, there's three people in the Bible that lived incredibly significant lives, and the reason why they were able to do that was because God took them through a wilderness experience. We're talking about Moses right now. He's one of them. But another one of them was David. You know, David was the shepherd boy who was anointed to be king. Imagine if you were a young boy like David and you found out from the prophet of God, you were anointed by the prophet of God to be the most powerful man in your nation. And as soon as you found that out, the prophet looked at you and said, okay, now go back out to the field and take care of some sheep. David had this amazing call of God and destiny that was on his life. But the thing that he had to do after he learned about it was go back into a field and take care of some sheep. Can't you imagine as he sat out there thinking, man, I'm called to be the king. What in the world am I doing out here in the middle of the field with a bunch of sheep? But what we see later on is that God was going to call David to be a giant killer. And it was during that time out in the middle of the field that David got pretty good with a sling and a stone. And he encountered a bear. And he encountered a lion. And he overcame those things until the day came that he stood before a giant. And the giant wasn't no big deal because I got this sling. I got this stone. I'm pretty good with them. I've been here before. And everybody else might be scared of this guy, but I'm not scared. I can take this guy down. And what could have been a desert or wilderness experience that meant absolutely nothing for David as he sat out there and looked after some sheep became holy ground. Why? Because David wasn't just conquering king. He wasn't just mighty warrior. He was also psalmist. Think about those years that he sat out in the field, what to you and I might not seem important as he sat out there and he wrote praises to God and he sang praises to God and he showed you and I thousands of years later what it means to worship God with our lives. Because David's wilderness experience and his desert experience wasn't just something that was dead and desolate. It was holy ground experience that awakened him him to his destiny. And of course, the other most obvious person that went through the wilderness was Jesus. You know, wilderness and desert, these are places that we don't like to go. Obviously, we don't want to stay there, but we certainly don't like to visit those places because they're dead, they're dry, they're desolate places in our life. But it's interesting because the Bible says that before Jesus started his ministry, after he was baptized, that he was led by the Spirit of God to the wilderness to be tempted. God allowed him not to go and live in the desert, but to live through the desert. Why? Because it was going to mold him and make him into everything that God needed him to be. He goes out there. He fasts for 40 days. He's tempted. And every time he's tempted, what does he say? Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, it is written, it is written, it is written. He comes back at these temptations with scripture. And what could have been dry, desert, desolate ground turned into holy ground because Jesus found purpose and destiny right there in the middle of that desert. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what, the, what life looks like for you. You might feel like you are right in the middle of a desert right now. 
But I got to tell you, last week I felt like God got my attention. And I felt like God said to me last week in my heart that if a company of people, the church of Jesus Christ, will choose to put our roots down on holy ground, then we'll find that God can do something great amongst us that the world around us looks at and says, why is it that you're prospering when everything else seems to be dying? Why is it that you're finding desert when the rest of us seem, finding destiny when the rest of us seem to be finding desert? Why is it that God is growing you when everything else out here doesn't seem to be going so well? I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people that are looking around and saying, well, it was so great when the economy was good. I'm not so sure we'll ever have another good day like that. Let me tell you something. God can show up with destiny right in the middle of your desert. The choice is yours whether or not you're going to step onto holy ground. Holy ground. Holy ground. It's crazy in that verse number one, the Bible says that Moses led the flock out to the back of the desert and it says that he came to Mount Horeb. Scripture very clearly calls Mount Horeb the mountain of God in verse one. What's funny about it is that the reason it's called the mountain of God is because many people think that Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai were the same place. Mount Sinai being the place where Moses gets the Ten Commandments, he brings them down to the people, he stands on top of the mountain and has conversation with God, brings down the law of God to the people. And here, of course, at Mount Horeb, he has the encounter with the burning bush. And it was years and years later that Moses would write the book of Exodus. And when he looked back on his journey, he would say, I led this flock of sheep out to the back of the desert until we approached Mount Horeb. Oh, but Mount Horeb, that was the mountain of God. Because that was the day that God got my attention. That was the day that while I was wandering aimlessly with no purpose in my life, God sent a burning bush. The voice of God began to speak to me. He lifted my eyes above what was going on around me and he showed me everything that he could do. And what seemed like a desert moment turned into a destiny moment because I found that I was standing on holy ground. And right now in the middle of whatever desert you feel like you're standing in, God wants to bring you to a place where you're standing on holy ground. Well, when you look back, you wouldn't tell the world if you wrote your book that you were standing in the middle of the desert, but you would tell the world that that was the mountain of God. That was holy ground. That was the place where I encountered God, where everything that seemed to be lost was suddenly found again. It was the place where once I encountered God, I encountered my destiny. I walked out of that desert and into the fullness of what God had for my life. It was the place where when I look back, I didn't know how it was that at this place in my life, at this age, with everything that's already gone by, how God could possibly do something great through me. But instead, God un uncovered the purpose that he had for me, and I began to step into it. Because it was right after holy ground that Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. It was where he lifted his staff and parted the Red Sea. It was after that place he was able to stand on the mountain with God, have an encounter with God, a conversation with God, and bring down the law of God. Moses wasn't just one of the most significant figures in the Bible, and in all reality, he was an Old Testament foreshadowing of Christ. But I wonder if Moses would have ever seen that destiny had it not been for the day that he stood on holy ground. He could have chose to die in that desert. He could have chose to live in that desert, but instead he chose to get through that desert and into the destiny that God had for him. Would you bow your heads this morning? I want to pray for you. You know, if you're here today and you feel like things are dry, dead, desolate, depressing, you feel like you're wandering aimlessly, you feel like you can't find purpose in this life, I want to tell you that God wants to step down right in the middle of your desert and talk destiny to you. And that can happen today because I believe this place that we're at, this is holy ground. 
And what makes it holy is the fact that God is here. If you're here today and you feel like God has been distant, if you feel like things have been dead and dry and desolate, I just want to invite you for just a moment just to open your heart to God and say, God, come in, come in, come in, speak destiny to my life. Right in the middle of my desert, speak destiny to my life. God wants to do new things in people's lives today. Can we let him do it? Can we choose to live through this desert? God, I pray that you would strengthen us to walk through the desert, God, that we might be walking in right now. God, for the people that are here today waiting for their business to grow, to take off, to get better, I pray in Jesus' name that you would bring new life, new opportunity in Jesus' name, growth into their place. God, I pray in Jesus' name for people who are struggling in their marriage or in their relationships, that you would speak to that thing which is dead and dry and cause it to come back to life and bring destiny and purpose into that relationship and into that marriage today in Jesus' name. God, for people that feel like they are lacking purpose today and they are wandering aimlessly into whatever, I pray that you would speak something specific into their life, Father, while we are on holy ground that would cause them to lift their eyes above what's going on around them and see everything that you're about to do through them. God, as you call our name today, Father, as you call our name and tell us what it is that you would have us to do, where you'd have us to go, I pray that we would acknowledge you and we would say, here I am, just like Moses. We would respond to your call, Father. God, our best is in front of us. The good old days might have been great, but you have so much better new days in front of us. We choose to believe that no matter what stage of life people might be in today, we choose that, we choose that, we choose that. In Jesus' name. Jesus name with heads bowed and eyes closed for just one more moment if you're here today you're not in relationship with God I want to tell you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to accept Jesus into your life to make him the Lord of your life to recognize that he came to save you to give you purpose for this life in which you live and to give you peace for eternity when this life is over if you're here today and you've never made a decision to allow God to come into your life We do it by saying a simple prayer where we believe in our heart that Jesus went to the cross for our sins, the thing that have separated us from from God. And then we choose to make him the Lord of our life when we believe he was raised from the dead, conquering death, hell, and the grave for us for all of eternity. If you're here today and you've never prayed that prayer, I'd love to help you get started in a relationship with God. And we're gonna pray a prayer together in just a moment. All you have to do is mean that prayer with everything in your heart, say these words with your mouth, and there's nothing special about my words. What's significant is the commitment that you make in your heart. I wanna ask everybody if you'd repeat these words after me this morning and simply say, dear Jesus, today I accept you. I invite you into my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you were raised from the dead giving me hope for all of eternity. And today I want your life. Today I want your purpose. And today I want your peace. And I know that today, everything everything will change. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, this morning we're...